Okay, welcome to the next episode of Before the Crowd. Uh, my name is Guy Monk, so I'm sat here this week with Luke Cooper. Um, Luke works for Audio Network as a composer project coordinator. Um, weirdly enough, Luke and I both went to the same university like a few years ago, uh, and we got chatting on uh, through some friends on New Year's Eve, and yeah, I said to Luke, come along, let's be part of the show. So yeah, welcome. Thanks for coming. Hello. <laughs> it's good to be here. Studying and growing up, you learned guitar. Yeah, so growing up, I played drums for 10 years. Okay. Drums was my first instrument, oh. my first love. Your first love. A bit like yourself. <laughs> I'm um, your first love. Uh, yes, you are my first love, <laughs> okay. guys. Um, no, drums was, was always there in the house. Music was always there in the house, but drums was the affiliation. Okay. Uh, and then guitar came in my teens when I realised you could make music instead of hitting things, <laughs> um, which was a delight and a treat for the uh, creative uh, output. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, guitar at university during my degree, okay. and I would still class guitar as my first instrument. Okay. Do you still get to play much now? Guitar. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, always writing. Okay. Nice. Um, not so much playing in bands anymore. Okay. Due to my job is a full time requirement, so the sort of live playing had to fall by the wayside a little bit. But you know, still practicing, keeping that sort of muscle. Flexing as it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, just keeping the chops up, like still keeping the chops up. Yeah, I mean, still jam with people. Okay, nice. Um, always writing, like I just mentioned, always writing with um, anyone and anyone. Nice. <laughs> you know, it's one of those things where if you don't use it, you lose it. Mm -hmm. And I've, you know, I've met many people on the road um, of, you know, life who do, who used to do music and they just didn't do it and it stopped. And it is, if you don't use it, you do lose it. It's like it's it's like it's not like riding a bike where you get back on a bike and you remember how to do it. You yeah. know, if you don't practice a scale, you will forget how to play it. No, um, definitely. It's just constantly reminding yourself of how it works. Yeah, it's revision. Yeah, you know, on a constant basis. Um, but I'm guessing that sort of lends quite nicely to your job because, like, so so tell us what it means to be like a composer, project coordinator, because that's a hell of a title. It is a hell of a title. <laughs> it's uh, yeah, it's a. It's a title that encompasses quite a lot of things, um, coordinating being one of them. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's, so my, I work for Audio Network, which okay. is one of the largest music production companies in the world. Mm -hmm. It might be the biggest one in the UK. Okay. Um, and we make music for TV, film, mm -hmm. all types of media that need music. <laughs> um, and yeah, I've been in that job for about a year and four months. Okay. Uh, the job itself, my job, is working with composers on a day-to-day -day basis, mm -hmm. briefing them to make music, uh, and helping them along the way from beginning to end, from the concept of the idea to delivering the album and getting it to our clients, um, which is a very quick <laughs> uh, sort of uh, synopsis of what I do. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a good job. It's a hard job, challenging. Mm -hmm. As you know, working with creatives, working with musicians, it can be challenging. Of course, um, yeah. But it, it's a, you know the payoff is we make absolutely outstanding music, mm -hmm. um, which you hear every day, but don't realize it. It's uh, okay. So I think can you give us some examples of stuff we might have heard but didn't realize it came from Audio Network? Well, anything you hear, most things you hear on TV is probably Audio Network. Okay. Um, one of our biggest clients is the BBC, we work with ITV okay. in the UK, uh, NBC, HBO in the US, oh, wow. Vice as well. 
so it stretches really far out then it's, yeah. it's not just limited to the little the, the, the UK yeah island. we're not the UK we've got um, offices all around the world okay LA New York um, London of course Paris uh, Berlin wow um, just over, just got a new music consultant in Tokyo Japan so trying to get oh. the Asian market on the go wow. which is a tough uh, tough market to get into but yeah all these companies are you know use audio networks music daily um, to fulfill their their briefs um. so for people who like some of the listeners who might not be musicians but uh, like a music production company mm -hmm. Is it, so kind of like to get the chain of events, is that, um, I don't know, say like a TV show will have a brief of we want like this really dramatic music and then you, they go to you and you source a composer or what, what's the so, chain of events with that? With production music, it's not as bespoke. Okay. So it's not like if you came to me and was like, I need a three, we need like a fairy Harry Potter-esque style thing. Mm -hmm. Can you give it us? I won't go to a composer and say, do this just for this one client. Okay. What we do is we, um, we're data-driven, okay. creatively-led. So we use data from that we gather from our clients, trends within the music industry. Um, our sales teams deliver us sort of briefs that clients are asking for. They may, might look through our catalog and be like, we've got a great selection of, I don't know, dark, tense music. Mm -hmm. We need something a bit brighter. Have you got anything a bit brighter? Okay. We'll have a look. We do have it because we're good at what we do. But if we didn't have it, we would simply wait until that became a little bit of a more of a demand. Mm -hmm. We wouldn't just take it off one request because we do get some bizarre requests like Ethiopian jazz. We're not going to commission wow. an yeah. Ethiopian <laughs> jazz album for a small company in Amsterdam to use because it wouldn't make sense financially or for the or for the catalog creatively. Mm. Um, so what we would do is maybe get, if we sort of seen a trend, see three or four bright tension requests, that's when we'll go to a composer, okay. be it new or one of our uh, current composers that we have on the roster, and say, hey, do you want to make this bright tension album? Here's mm. the brief, here's the references. And they'll make it for us and the client gets what they want and it okay. adds to the catalogue. So for, I, I'm sure it like differentiates between a lot of cases, but if if you were to give a brief to a composer, mm. kind of what's the turnaround you're looking at doing? It all depends on what it is. Okay. So if we still use the bright tension underscore style thing uh -huh. as an example, just to keep the sort of cohesion of the <laughs> of the story arc, mm. um, <laughs> um, that that could be turned around within four four or five months, six months. Okay. Um, nine months max. I, would, I wouldn't think something like that would take nine months, but that could be a very quick turnaround, especially for one of our sort of more um, in like sort of composers we go to that for that. Mm -hmm. If we went to the usual suspects for something like that, it'd be a quick turnaround. However, if it, say if we're doing something a bit more high end, something a bit more orchestral based, yeah. we record all our music at Abbey Road, orchestral music at Abbey Road. Okay. Wow. We are Abbey Road's biggest customers, I believe. Um, and we've been doing it there for since, well, I'm not too sure actually. Probably when it founded, really. Okay. How, do you know how old the company is? Of audio oh yeah, so it started, it's 90, it's 18, 19 years old, so 2002, I reckon. Yeah. Oh, okay, wow. So, 
fairly recently. I, I suppose in, in next to Abbey Road, which is obviously the which going, is yeah, yeah. historic yeah historic event. But I think yeah, so that an orchestral thing at Abbey Road might take longer. We need availability for the studios. Mm. Um, there might be other time restraints, uh, but we genu- gen- generally sorry, don't like to sort of have things linger too long. Okay. As you know, in the music industry, there is trends. Mm. Billie Eilish is a trend. Yes. You know, we're not going to sort of linger on it and then sort of give it to a client and then the client's going to turn around and go, this is so 2016 because <laughs> it's taken so long. So we work, we do work with people who we know can work to a, a, a time constraint or a sort of a deadline. Of course, yeah. Um, but it all depends on the music, how long a turnaround would be. Um, but there's never just one project of a single thing going up at once. Okay. There might be if it's really like specific. Like the, the, the Ethiopian the, jazz. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, <laughs> maybe if we decided to pull the trigger on that one, actually do it. Um, so if it was that bright tension thing, we wouldn't just have one, one composer doing it. We would have maybe two or even three sometimes just to keep the sort of, all working on the same album? Or? Uh, no, no, working on the same brief. Okay. Different albums. Mm-hmm. Um, just to keep, just to fill the catalogue with, you know, a nice diverse range because a composer is going to, you know, a, one composer is going to approach bright tension mm-hmm. in a different way to another composer. So it's going to keep the, we want the catalogue to be diverse and have everything for a client to just come along and go, well, I like that. Is there anything else? And then they can search for another bright tension. Now oh, this is done by so and so. This one fits my brief better. Right. Okay. So it's all about having a nice, diverse, um, but you know, quality-filled catalogue. Okay. Um, so they they actually got that choice instead of here's the only flavour. Like here's yeah, yeah, here's different a, things here, you can yeah, make from yeah. for what's going to suit that piece of media best. Yes, and also we do versions of songs. Um, oh, okay. So. Um, Say if you had an orchestral piece, which was, let's say, a full symphonic arrangement, you know, you had mm-hmm. brass, strings, woodwinds, uh, percussion, mm-hmm. you're talking big, yeah, yeah, big yeah. trailer music. Okay. Um, we offer versions, okay. so we will offer a version um, without brass, but oh. still with everything else. Okay. We offer a version without the strings, if you wanted it. Right, okay. Um, and then 60 second version of the track, Okay. 30 second version. 15 and then stings so stings for anyone who doesn't know is um a piece of music which is anything between could be three seconds to seven seconds so just little snippets yeah so it's what you so it, what you would hear af- play after a commercial break mm-hmm. like welcome back to good morning do, 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 do. you know it's like the main melody sort of hook of the theme or or something so we offer okay. those as well um and that just gives the the clients and the editors the film and music editors on these for these production companies to have everything at their fingertips nice, okay. just to just to um, have it all so they can chop and change okay. make sure it fits theirs uh-huh. uh, and you can see this all on the website when you click on something it'll say 15 mixes or 12 mixes and if you click on that you can just see all of them so how does your job sort of relate to that obviously like you said you've got a writing background growing up in your teens and, and doing your degree and playing guitar a lot, do you mm. get to sort of work on some of the briefs with the composers or do you just oversee it? Yeah, so it, my role is basically a glorified producer. <laughs> um, it's, um, sounds good. Yeah. yeah, it is. It's a very like sort of standoffish producer role. Okay. It's somewhere between the lines of A&R and producer, <laughs> um, which is a very blurry world to live in. But mm. we guide our composers through the brief um you know if they send us a, a demo of the of the of the brief mm. we go this is great 
well, why don't you change this? They might change it and be like, oh, yeah, that worked, amazing, you know? Or they might come back and we might say, actually, that didn't work. Let's <laughs> not do that. Um, but, you know, it's not just it's not just me making the decisions. We have a, a, mu- a very experienced and um, talented music team at Audio Network of uh, people who know what they're doing as well. Um, so it's a very collaborative effort within the music team to make decisions on sort of the, um, the creative aspects of the music. Um, but yeah, it is a bit of a, a producer role um, mm-hmm. in a way. Um, so if, if we did the Ethiopian jazz record, you know, I don't know anything about Ethiopian jazz, right. but someone in the team might, um, and they might be a jazzer, mm-hmm. and they might be able to offer some sort of advice or, or you know, just a creative avenue for composers to go down. Mm. Majority of the time, credit to all our composers, the majority of them hit the, well, nearly all of them hit the nail on the head straight away. Okay. They get the brief, mm-hmm. but that is just due to... Um, like I said earlier, with our sort of data insight and how we have references for the briefs and the clients know what they want, we know what, what you know, we know what they want, so we can really give the composers really specific instructions rather than, we need it to be purple, make this sound purple. It's yeah. like, it's not going to be like that. It's going to be, we need this Ethiopian jazz from this specific reason, region of Ethiopia, can you do it? Okay. Um, so it's a lot more kind of isolated and... I suppose they've obviously gotten freedom because they're creating it, yeah. but it is still like, this is the region, this is the time period, this is I yeah, know, yeah. the key, the mood. At the end of the day, when you view sort of production music, it's not like a normal album from your favourite artist. Mm. It is built for purpose. Yeah. Like any bespoke, comp- any composition, you know, from John Williams to a small thing on BBC, which is probably Audio Network, admittedly, but <laughs> it's built for purpose. You're not just sticking a random song over a, a piece it's it is all our music is built for purpose so nice um yeah uh just talking about john williams i found out a really cool thing the other day just a tangent slightly no, it's um cool. so obviously like he's done all the star wars music um yes since 1979 79 the first one I thought it might be yeah. Or his first one. yeah whatever I my but... dad's not listening my dad will kill me <laughs> for not knowing that <laughs> but yeah um but he apparently appeared in the latest Star Wars movie. I did not see him. No, neither did I. I only found out afterwards on the internet. When they go in, there's a scene in a bar somewhere. And just very briefly, you see a bartender. And that's John Williams. Yeah, they say that. But he'll be caked in, like, prosthetics. Like, <laughs> just a green like Simon Pegg was in, in um, Force Awakens. Uh, he played... Um, yeah. He was it Yamaz Kathlunk? What's the guy, the, the scrapyard guy who gives the rations out to Ray? You know, like, yeah, 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 that's Simon Pegg. No way. Yes, and it's like, like, like they're not gonna just be like, oh yeah, that's the, John Williams featured in this scene. Yeah, but he was caked in prosthetics and yeah. stuffed up the back, so it's no wonder we didn't see him. But no, I, I, um, I was just listening to the new, uh, the uh, new score today actually. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. Yeah, I actually enjoyed the film. Yeah, which me is too. Surprising. <laughs> no, I did as well. A lot of people have bad stuff to say about it, but yeah, it's. A, Ties it up. I think it's I a good movie. I think it's great, and the music was great. Yes. And I think. I mean, I got. I it, for for all the listeners out there, if you want a penultimate sort of John Williams score for Star Wars, Binary Sunset from New Hope, which is the sort of everyone classes it as the Force theme almost. It's the mm. when Luke 
realizes he's a Jedi and he stands on the dune at Tatooine and watches the two suns when in the he's sky. looking out to it with a hope yes, in his eyes. Yeah. Yes, and that is is the quintessential John Williams Star Wars score, mm. and they brought it back for the last scene without any spoilers. It's not a spoiler; it's music, <laughs> but it's in one of the last scenes in the film. And yeah. I, I teared up in the cinema when that it's, a, it's such a beautiful piece of music. Yeah, it is. And uh, yeah, when they brought it for anyone to please do yourself a favor, do with the world a favor, and listen to that that score because it's phenomenal. But it's funny on what you've just hit on now about how how music can invoke these emotions in us when you're looking at a scene of fictional characters mm. that you might have grown up with, you might have just you know got into the last six months or whatever. But that kind of music can make you tear up over yeah, yeah. over people on a screen. Mm. And I just find that absolutely mind-blowing. It's it's a primordial sort of thing within humans. Mm. Um, I mean, music, sort of the... In a, in a scene, in a film, if there's music in it, it evokes an emotion. And if mm. there's not music in it, it evokes an emotion. So even the absence of music... Definitely. Definitely. Adds a... Adds a Adds a sort of another level of emotion to a to a scene, um, and I, I, I do understand sort of the sort of biological aspects yeah. of people getting emotional at a song. Not just we're talking about John Williams, but you know, if you played "Over the Rainbow" to my grandma, she'd probably get emotional, and, that's her, <laughs> and that because that's her, and it's, it's, trigger, it's isn't yeah, it? it's all connected to memories. Yeah, like absolutely. if you play if you play Toto Africa right now, I haven't played that song since I was at this university. Yeah. <laughs> I'd probably get a little bit emotional because I'm in my old uni and that song evokes the emotion. So I think it's all to do with the psychological sort of recalling of memories mm, to music, which has the impact. Like I grew up with Star Wars. When Binary Sunset plays, it reminds me of not just my childhood, but the sort of the the progression of the film. Definitely. The and beginning and the end, the, the journey, you know. It is a journey. And it's funny how you touched on the uh, the absence of music. And I want to say it was, I was watching Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Mm. I haven't seen that yet. And it's, okay, there's, uh, it, it might be that, I can't remember which film, um, but it really stuck out to me. And it was just a fight scene between two right. guys where they're just arguing a little bit, gets a little bit heated. Um, and then one guy throws a punch yep. and the next guy punches him back. And it starts to get like really bloody in an actual blood yeah. thirsty fight. And there's no music and you you, you suddenly go because <gasps> uh, yeah, you realise yeah. you're holding your breath yeah. in that anticipation. Yeah. But the composer's done nothing. They've or, done nothing. Well, yeah. they're, well, well they've he's, done he's made they, a creative choice to not do anything. And so yeah. has the director. You know, they've made a choice, a creative choice to to leave it out. And I think that's that is part of space within a piece of music mm. is just as important as the actual, the intervals, the notes, the rhythms. Um, Definitely, it's, it, it creates almost like the, the tension and release and that anticipation of, yeah. in, like in, the, in this particular fight scene, like what's gonna happen next? Like, cause you think someone's gonna die. Yeah, or exactly. something's gonna really, like this is a turning point yeah. in the movie. Um, but it is, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, it, it's a creative choice. Mm, yeah, it is, it is a very creative choice. Um, which I think is, I, I love when you see, I think it's like such a running joke in Family Guy, but when they see like the old Adam West Batmans and it's like, kapow! Like, da, 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 da. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it's, I think, yeah, with sort of, 
I can't remember what I was going to say now. <laughs> no, lost Okay, it. no, it's good. We can come back to that. Um, I, I know kind of before we hit record, which I, it's always funny because you do this when you hit record, you're like, oh, let's get back to what we were saying. Yeah. Um, so obviously we're talking about sort of composers who, it, it could just be, and probably is, a guy in their bedroom a lot of the time yeah. who were in touch with you and they're sitting at their MacBook doing mm -hmm. this. And then you've got the other side of it, which is the Abbey Road. Um, so like you were talking about James Taylor. Mm. How does it kind of work when you have named artists, almost like household names, mm, yeah. working with you? How does that How does that go? Yeah, so at Audio Network we work with not just composers but artists as well. Mm -hmm. uh, Up-and-coming artists, um, artists that you know have already got flourishing careers like James Taylor Quartet, which you know he was renowned in the sort of acid jazz era in the in the nineties. But how we work with them is, like I said, with the production music, it's built for purpose. Mm. People, when we work with our artists, that music they make still is available for sync. Okay. So if, with James Taylor, mm -hmm. um, his album will be able to be used for TV and film mm -hmm. after the release. Um, but as much as it's fit for purpose, and as we'll sort of guide them, say, like, you know, it's a lot more creatively led. Mm. It's an artist project. You know, we're not going to turn around to, to, to an artist like James Taylor and say, this is great, but can you put in some more, you know, tense drama into it? Because that's what, you, you know. You can't almost direct it for a brief then. It's not like you're like, imagine you're looking at two dual sons on Tatooine, like play yeah. something for that. Like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it, but, admit, admittedly, it's still an artist project, but they will, the, James will still have usage in mind. He will still write those songs and those pieces thinking, well, if you took the voice off of it or took the organ off of it, that's a great sort of jazzy backing track for something. Mm. You know, that's still a useful um, a useful piece of music, which, again, like I said, is why we have the versions. Right. Because someone might be like, this James Taylor song is great. I really want this on you know, a, my new BBC show, mm -hmm. but I don't want the organ. Not to worry, dear editor, <laughs> you know, we've got it. You can take it we off. We can take it's it interchangeable. off. Yeah. It's interchangeable. And, you know, with an artist, that that helps them because mm -hmm. their music's being played on TV, <laughs> you know, which yeah. is, you know, prime exposure. I mean, James Turner does not need any more exposure. Right. But, um, <laughs> but you, you know, you get the idea. It's, um, they're still, you know, they're getting something not just creatively out of it, because we're helping to support their album, but they're getting something mm. sort of um, more mon monetary out of it, because it's been synced for film and TV. So do you, uh, I mean, you don't have to use James Taylor like as an example. No, yeah. I, I don't know how much you can talk about some of this stuff, but with a lot of artists rather than composers, do you deal with the artists directly, or do you go to the record labels or their management, or how does it work? So we work as a publisher. Okay. Um, I'm not actually on the artist side. We have an A and R team, mm -hmm. um, very experienced and um, skilled A and R team who could deal with artists, the artist projects a lot better than I can. <laughs> so I'm more on the um, sort of composer side. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but it's um, it's one of those things where an artist can come to us with an idea, and we could be like, "Oh, this is great. Let's use us as a publisher." rather than a label, mm. we're not a label. Okay. Um, we're not like, you know, Universal or 
Warner. No. Um, but you're the means of doing the publishing of the sync contracts. Yeah, it's like a Cobalt or um, not Cobalt. What's it called? Um, mine's gone blank. But yeah, other publishers. Okay. Basically, um, we're not we're not a label. Mm. We don't we don't function as a label. We function as a publisher. Um, so I'm I'm maybe wrong, but I'm guessing a lot of artists come to you thinking maybe they haven't done their research and they think you are a label. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Didn't miss a beat then you like, yeah, that yeah, happens. Yeah, that happens. Yeah. Um, Which I suppose it's, it's probably there's nothing mistake. wrong with that. That's just the naivety of sort of ambition. You know Yeah, and it's people just trying out and learning and getting pointed in the right direction, I suppose. Yeah, if someone's ambitious about making their music career they they'll take it they'll take the shot. Mm. No you know. Because an artist could look at us and be like, well, they're being used, their music's being used everywhere and, you know, I wouldn't mind my music being, you know, used there. And an artist might come to us and say, I'm an artist, but I also wouldn't mind getting into this composing game. Yeah. And we'll, you know, we could listen to him and be like, okay, but let's do it more of a, of a composing project rather than under your moniker, if, mm. if you will. Uh, but then we do have artists, um, have you heard of uh, an artist called Tom Rosenthal? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Tom Rosenthal uh, worked with us before I joined okay. uh, Audio Network, um, and you know he's he's more known as an artist than a composer, but his music gets used everywhere. <laughs> but people don't know it's but, him. Well, no, they do know it's him. Oh, but, okay. But, but when he used it, when he wrote those songs for us, mm-hmm. he didn't. He wasn't using us as a label. He was using us as a publisher. Uh, okay. Um, which then allowed him to release his music on DSPs and, you know, uh, or sort of, you know, physical copies as well, but it also allowed him to, to have it sort of in the music production world and get synced, um, which has probably helped him out a lot. And, uh, yeah, it helps when we have an artist like Tom, who is very, his music is very syncable, mm-hmm. but also he has a massive following, cult following of fans. Um, which a fan is probably sat in an editing room being an editor and they want to use his music yeah. and instead of going through loopholes on you know whatever major label someone an artist could be he could go on audio network and say oh I love Tom Rosenthal his music's here I can use it yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that's the difference really it's interesting how you can sort of change the game around a little bit then and how I suppose it gives a lot of power to the artist which is nice because I remember I mean, it, pro- it might have even been with Audio Network. I remember when, maybe it was, I think it was the second Hobbit movie, The Desolation of Sal, yeah. and um, Ed, um, Ed Sheeran did Icy Fire. He did, didn't he? I yeah. don't know if that was with you guys. or I No, no, it wouldn't have been. It would have been with his, probably his label. Is but he on Warner? Is he on Warner? I'm not sure. Is he on Warner? But I remember so many people sort of at the time who, who were Ed Sheeran fans, but didn't know anything about The Hobbit, yeah. went to watch that movie because yeah. of Ed Sheeran. Yeah. And then I think you have to wait till like the credits and it plays, yeah. and they were like, "Oh, actually, sat for three hours." Yeah, yeah, three hours. Yeah, three hours of Tolkien. To, yeah, but, to which, listen to an Ed Sheeran song. I mean, I love, I love Tolkien, and I love yeah. the Hobbits uh, and the Lord of the Rings, everything. But I was kind of like, you could have just Spotify it. Yeah, or YouTube it, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it did make me laugh when people did that. But, but you know, great. that's but that brings a whole new fandom of people from the Ed Sheeran fandom to you know how much is a crossover. Yeah. Um, and that's just an interesting thing in itself, you know. I know, just an example, we talk about Tom Rosenthal, who was recently synced on a podcast. It was 
It wasn't like a sort of recurring podcast. It was like a six-episode sort of drama-style podcast. Okay, I can't cool. remember what it's called. But I went and listened to it. Because, because, because our, our track was used. Mm-hmm. And I went and listened to this six-part <laughs> drama for no reason, just so I could... And it was in the intro. Yeah. Um, which is interesting, because it's, that's the crossover. Um, it was the same with um, ACDC and Iron Man a few years yeah. ago. And that was, you remember, that seemed to be really controversial because people were like, oh my God, I can't believe they're using ACDC. Well, that was, the, that was the start of the classic rock tracks and trailers, wasn't it? Yeah. Like, that was the beginning. Uh, still going. And it's still going. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's still, still going. I saw a trailer for uh, is it some kids' movie or something. Mm. I don't know, but they used Welcome to the Jungle as the mm. trailer track. And it's like, that's what, a 30-year-old album or something. Yeah. And that's still... Is that been, Jumanji? I think it was Jumanji. I remember. I, that. Yeah, that would make sense. It, yeah, Jumanji, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, It's crazy. There's a one album at the minute. That um, gentleman, the guy new Guy Ritchie film with Hugh Grant. Oh remember. yeah, I've seen the posters on yeah, the YouTube. Yeah, yeah. That one's got um, a classic track on it. I can't remember what it is. Like, it's either I, it's either Deep Purple or Sabbath. I can't remember which one it. It's Sabbath, I think. It's Sabbath. I think... Is it Paranoid Ray, you think? I'm not sure. But it's, it's a crazy... But album. still, yeah. It's how, that, how that sort of... That's a trend. Yeah. 40, 50-year-old yeah, songs still being used now. But it's setting all people who... You know, if you go to see Jumanji, there's going to be like 12-year-olds in it, yeah. I'm sure. And they're like, hang on, what is this? Yeah. Oh, Guns N' Roses. Like. To be fair, I'd love for 12-year-olds to go to see Jumanji... And their biggest takeaway was, I'm going to listen to Appetite for Destruction by Guns N' Roses. Yeah. <laughs> that would be the poor parents. faith re- restored in humanity, if that was the case. Um, I, it's so interesting how it's a trend within within film mm. sort of score and within film trailers to have that. Um, so, sort of going on from that topic, I suppose, now, because um, you kind of made me think of it a little bit. Obviously, you, you're working with these different artists, mm. and it is sometimes their songs with the lyrics that are used. Have you ever sort of encountered any projects where maybe the lyrics are a bit controversial or you've had backlash from um, if it's been used in media and the public flashback at you, backlash at you? So... Backlash? Backlash. Backlash. Um, yeah, <laughs> not in my time. Okay. I, I imagine after 19 years of audio network, there would have been some kind of issue. Mm. Uh, but we are very diligent to sort of screen <laughs> a lot of lot of the lyrics it's got to be media friendly <laughs> you know so it's got to fit all ages yeah we do have explicit songs if they feature swear words or slurs okay. um you know within you know sort of a correct way we're not saying like slurs in the in the sort of stance of it's going to be a hate crime slur mm. but if it's something that's a little bit like a swear word we'll have sometimes we do have explicit versions and clean versions right okay uh, because we're not going to stop, you know, someone might need a swear word version mm. for, for a, a piece of film. You know, we're not going to be like, we're clean only, you know, yeah. it, it, it has its use. Uh, but yeah, not in my time, nothing. But it goes back to, to using the alternatives, like you said, and so you've got that clean yeah. version. Yeah. And it's all about having dirty options. version. Yeah, dirty version. Explicit version. <laughs> yeah, yeah. version. But it's just like iTunes or Spotify or anything, mm. you know, if you listen to... You know, NWA's album, probably not. That's a bad example. But, you know, just as an example, no, it's, it probably yeah. doesn't exist. But there probably would be a clean version and, a, <laughs> and a, an explicit version. You know, it, it says next to a track, like, explicit. 
um, I know before I've gone on um, iTunes and Apple Music to listen to something and I'm there singing the words and I'm singing the explicit version yes. and I'm like where's that word gone and I look on my iTunes and I've downloaded the clean version you know Ugh. and I'm like yeah god so like where's the balls you know <laughs> <laughs> they've got rid of it I don't know like Steel Panther records and stuff before when you're like what did oh that would just be instrumental yeah like, they couldn't they couldn't do a clean version of that it'd just be instrumental someone, <laughs> someone sent me a video and they did um it was like one of them, like their words. I think it was like death to all, but metal. Every second word is a swear word, yeah. and they overdubbed it with just beeps, <laughs> and it is just. It's like giant steps by Coltrane. Just like... <laughs> <laughs> you know, just, yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Steel Coltrane, <laughs> Panther Train, Panther Train. It's kind of gone out. <laughs> So let's talk about what, what did you do before Audio Network? Because you were working for uh, is it Brains and Brains and Hunch. Brains and Hunch, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, while I attended uni in my summer of the end of um, first year, I took it upon myself to try and get at least some experience <laughs> in the music industry instead of leaving it to the last minute when mm. I graduated and being like, "What do I do?" Yeah. So I took it upon myself. In yeah, that summer of two thousand and fifteen, I think it was two thousand fifteen. Yeah, two thousand fifteen, to get an internship. Okay. Try to get some experience, whether it was paid, unpaid. Mm. Um, um, I just wanted to get something under my belt. Yeah. Of so course. I applied to absolutely hundreds. <laughs> I think it was about two hundred and it was over two hundred. Wow. Places I applied to. Just for an internship. Just for might an internship. Might not even be paid. It was just something um and i got some for anyone who's like sort of younger listening Mm. to this um try and get as much experience as possible i got 200 i sent out 200 applications to places and i got 199 no's (laughs) but those no's weren't no don't you know we don't need you a lot of them were no but here's some advice that's good. No, so you got some feedback. Got some feedback. Why don't you try this? Why don't you try that? And, you know, it pays off because these people, as everyone knows, the music industry can be ruthless and very cutthroat and very competitive, but mm. it's full of nice people. <laughs> and then I think it does get a sort of a, from an outside view, it can be look quite daunting and scary. But a lot of the time, people are looking out for each other. And... Um, Luckily, the one out of 200 was looking out for me and mm. took me on. And that was Brains and Hunch. So they are a bespoke, independent composing studio. Okay. It's run by two two guys called Tom and Chris. So it's Tom Haynes and um, Chris Branch. So it's sort of made Haynes, Brains. Brains and, and Hunch. Hunch. Okay. Yes. No, it's called yeah. a word, word play. Yeah. yeah, and they've been going since the 90s. Okay. Um, I don't know exactly what year. But quite an established company then. It's obviously kept itself Yeah, it's always been them two. And then they um, have a studio manager and sound editor called Laura. Okay. Laura Selby, um, who was the, at the time, it was just those three when I joined. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when I joined, three became four, um, just as an intern. Um, and they do everything. They do loads, smorgasbord of, of 
music composition. Uh, everything from Disney to DreamWorks. Okay, wow. To independent sort of animations, to art installations, you name it, <laughs> they do it. Um, okay. For people listening, if you ever watched uh, Channel 4 or BBC, probably BBC 3, they do uh, BBC 3 iDance, do you know the things between the programmes? They did oh. the music, they did the music for that. Um, right. <laughs> the, the, cool. There's a meditation app called Headspace. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. All the lot. sound design and music is Brains of Munch. Oh no way. Okay. Yeah, and I, that was while I was working there. So oh. just to give the story arc of when I was there, I was an intern for about a year. Mm-hmm. Unpaid. Um, I was just going to ask. It you was unpaid, <laughs> um, but they paid for my travel, which were very nice of them. Okay. Great. Uh, they paid for my lunches sometimes, most of the time. Um, to be honest, that's probably more than most. That's they, more than most companies will do for they, you. They, they, they sort of just respected me for what I was doing. The mm. jobs I was doing weren't glamorous. <laughs> they weren't at all. It was making cups of teas and coffee in the beginning to um, just sorting out paperwork and getting everything. Just you know, admin basically. Yeah. I was an admin machine, <laughs> which. Followed, has followed me throughout all my career choices so far, but I think admin is a very important thing within anything. Um, and it's a good lesson to learn, especially yes. at an independent studio where, you know, it's very cutthroat and competitive in that industry. Mm. Um, so it teaches, it, you know, they taught me a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I owe them a lot because I wouldn't be where I am now at Audio Network without Brains and Hunch. Um, so, they, so they took took you under their wing and, and taught you the ropes essentially. Yeah, and it wasn't just teaching me about business and how a studio works. It was teaching me about music. You know, Tom. I any questions I had to Tom and Chris and Laura, it was you know they answered. You right. know, uh, they weren't like no, not right now, go away. Okay. It was, you know, give me a minute, I'll tell you. Or if it, most of the time. If anything, I was a distraction. <laughs> it was just like, how do you do that? And then, you know, they'd stop working and be like, well, this is how you do it. Yeah. Um, you know, and they opened me up to a lot more music mm-hmm. and a different world of music. Um, big, sh- A bit of a shout out. They're in a band called the London Snorkeling Team, which is a very eclectic sort of um, genre of music. It's, it's sort of, it's like music composition, but in really short snippets of music. Okay. In sort of a more like sort of concept basis it's it's very it's very muso <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> very muso but um, i recommend you go and listen to it because it's it's crazy music i love it though and it's, it's the london snorkeling team it? yeah the london snorkeling team and yeah. that in itself makes me want to listen great to it. name i know <laughs> so i remember when i first started they told me the band name i was like that's a great name um but they've toured with portishead oh they cool. gigs with yeah. portishead and stuff back in the day um but yeah they mainly but they don't do that as much now mm. but they you know, they made the composer, but they, yeah, they're great people and they taught me a lot. Um, and I'm still in contact with them. Right. Still see them every now and then. They're great guys. Um, so, so how did you make the jump from sort of going from kind of like the T-boy yeah. up to your current role then? So it was sort of this thing, uh, Brains and Hunch, where um, my, at the time I was, it was as, as you know, as a musician, and if any musicians are listening to this, you have many fingers in many different pies. Mm-hmm. So at the time, I was doing two, three, three days a week. Well, when I was an intern, it was like two days a week at the studio. Mm-hmm. I was teaching. Yeah. <laughs> I was playing in bands. Mm-hmm. I was, you know, helping producing with people. I was, you know, recording with people, doing sessions here and there. 
gigging. Um, so at that point, when I was an intern, it really, and I was still at university, so I was so still, still learning still here, yeah. you know, so it, it really, it, it sort of, that sort of job sort of really set me up because it still allowed me to explore different avenues, find mm. what, you know, find what turned me on within the music industry, find, um, do I want to be a session guy, do I want to be a T-boy, like, do you, you know, yeah, I mean, yeah, do I want to be in a studio, and I think that's what's important to do, is to try those things, you know, Possibly. you don't know until you've tried it. Um, and I think so people, so many people go down maybe of a wrong path because you do think, oh, you want to be the next big session player, playing all these albums, and okay, yeah, a few people can do that. Um, yeah. The reality is you're probably playing Mustang, Sat Mustang Sally on a Saturday night a lot of the time, yeah. which some people can do because they can maybe see a bigger picture, but yeah. some people hate doing that. Yeah, exactly. And, you know... And Neighbours wrong or right. And working for Brains Orange really found my feet in, in regards to sort of what I wanted to do. I've always loved composition mm. forever. Yeah. I can't remember a time where I didn't love film score, mainly. Yeah. Um, and it really sort of like allowed me to sort of get that sort of experience within a functioning, working, successful studio and, and sort of make a conscious decision I want to be in within this world of composing, yeah. you know, whether it be helping the composers themselves, which is sort of the role I'm in now, mm. or sort of writing the music, um, any Foley, you know, sound yep. effects, sound editing, did a bit of that at Brains and Unch, helped out with that a couple of times, every now and then. Um, so, for people maybe who don't know what yeah. Foley is, how would, it's such a weird thing to describe really, isn't it? If Foley is a closing door, like <laughs> in films when you hear a door opening and shutting, when you hear footsteps down a hallway, when you hear a dragon breathing in, you know, Bilbo's face. Yeah. That is sound design and Foley. Okay. It's all done either post, well, it is done post. It's rarely done pre-filming. Uh, and it's to add in sound effects and they sort of bring life to a scene because on a set, they can't always capture those sound effects right. on, on set, you know? And especially in today's sort of m movie-making conventions where, like, CGI you know, sort mm -hmm. of stuff like that, that's going to be done in post. Yeah. So they need the sound effect of a dragon. Yeah. Um, you know, this Smog, in, uh, going back to we use Hobbit, uh, mm -hmm. Smog was the lead sound designer's daughter uh, no screaming into a microphone <laughs> that, that she used for a school project um, to no show way. how, you know, what does my dad do sort of thing. Wow. Uh, there's a great documentary on YouTube, The Making of the Hobbit, and it's the sound effects and music part of it is... Stella, it's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, so check, check that, that out. out. Yeah, it's amazing. Okay. But that's basically what Foley and Sound Design is. Okay. Um, but yeah, that's so at Brains and Hunch, after like a year, they took me on sort of part time, mm. sort of very flexible hours again, because I was still teaching. So I sort of, well, I'm still doing everything. <laughs> still studying. <laughs> yeah, still, still studying. <laughs> yeah, and then um, I was just a studio assistant. Mm -hmm. Sort of, it was more flexible at that point. And then after I graduated in 2017, they offered me a bit more time at the studio. Okay. And they were really nice enough to sort of take me from like, sometimes like four days a week. Wow, that's good. Um, you know, on and off and, but still allowed me to dip my toe in the water of, you know, think new things. Mm. Uh, like teaching was one of them. Um, do you still get to teach much now? Yeah, or? I still teach on Saturdays. Oh, nice. I, okay. I don't need to. <laughs> I just I haven't given it up. It. I just, yeah, it's just I haven't given that up yet. Um, I probably will one day. Um, but it's one of those things where um, 
yeah, I enjoy it. Yeah, it's I, great. It is it, seeing introducing a, a you know a kid, a, a child to a new piece of music is is like you know it's quite it's a, for anyone who's a teacher. I know you had Ryan yeah, Wilson yeah. on who um, is a teacher himself. Introducing a kid to a piece of music and seeing their eyes light up like you did when you heard that piece of music is one of the most rewarding and fulfilling things. Yeah. Um, I, I, I played a um, whole lot of love to my um, one of my older students. He's about 12. Yeah. And the riff comes in. And, and he heard it and he was like, what is that? Like, <laughs> it was like, he just didn't know because I was like, because he's into Shawn Mendes and Sheeran uh, you um, what's that other band called? Five Seconds of Summer. Okay, yeah, yeah. those sort of bands. Mm-hmm. And I played him a whole lot of love by Zeppelin, and he was just like, "What is this?" Yeah. And I was like, "He's never been exposed. He's to never it been exposed to it." And I was like, "This is Jimmy Page. Yeah. <laughs> <I was> welcome. Like, <laughs> welcome to this world that we call rock." Yeah. Um, you know, and that's the fulfilling part um, of teaching. But yeah, I'm, I'm I will stop eventually, but not yet. <laughs> you ever do though? Really? I mean, even now I. I used to run a little private teaching studio with mm. another drummer. And then when I went and did touring for a few years, I was like, I can't, like, there's no, no way I can, no, I, can't, I, I literally possible, can't, yeah. like, I'm not going to be in the country for a long time. I'm not going to be able to do it. Yeah. Um, and I had to say goodbye to a lot of students. And like, I remember that experience. I was like, okay, like I give them the warning and everything. And I was like, okay, today's yeah. my last day. This is fine. Yeah. Um, and I, I was just in tears. Yeah. That whole day. <laughs> God, yeah. I, I didn't expect it and like people bought you presents and like made you like gifts and stuff mm. and like said all this really nice stuff about like the impact of you know introducing someone to Zeppelin and how it changes their world. Well that's music changes it like that's the thing it's not like learning sort of how to I don't know swim <laughs> I don't know like <laughs> I, unless that kid is nearly drowning and then swims to shore that guy isn't going to be thanked the same way Drowning in Ed Sheeran. Drowning Ed Sheeran, yeah, you know, it's the lifeguard of Jimmy Page. Yeah, <laughs> Jimmy Page, the golden hair flowing in the breeze. <laughs> he dives in, you know. It's it, they're not going to thank that that swimming mm-hmm. teacher the same as what they're going to thank you for teaching them how to play when the le- levy breaks on drums. You know, it's it's completely different because that kid is now, like we said, about having an emotional response. Yeah. To music, that kid is you know is going to listen. Hopefully, my student who I played whole lot of love to, is gonna remember the first time he heard whole lot of love, and is gonna be like you know take that with him forever. You know, I remember the first time I heard whole lot of love. I was on a paper round on Lister Avenue in Sheffield, <laughs> <laughs> going down a very steep hill, going about thirty miles per hour on my bike, missing all my stops because <laughs> <I> just <laughs> listened to it going down this road, and then dazed and confused came on and I put the brakes on and I because I had that bass line in the beginning I was yeah. like what is this you know running home to my dad and saying this album's amazing yeah, yeah, yeah. you know that's that's the power of, of music mm, and definitely you know in the composing world you want the same impact from a, a viewer mm-hmm. who was watching TV to go oh my god that song's amazing and it fits this piece of music uh, piece of film sorry and amazingly mm. you know I'm trying to think of examples in film apart from score yeah that's you know like a, a song in a piece of film um, where it's had that kind where of it's had that massive it. impact I'm trying to think what it yeah. I mean Iron Man with ba- um, with ACDC with the back in, back in back black, black. Wasn't it? yeah I mean that probably had a lot of impact for, for people um, but probably not the same impact but yeah the sort of 
probably more on the composing side, like I say, with John Williams. Yeah, definitely. And I think even stuff like anyone something from our generation, mm. well, actually saying again, 10 years either side of us, like if you say to someone, I don't know, what's the Simpsons theme tune if they grew up in the US or yeah. the UK or probably most of Europe? They'll know it. Yeah. Oh, actually, you know what? Maybe I don't know if it's impactful. Well, I suppose it must be impactful. But something like Bare Naked Ladies, the Big Bang theme tune. Of course, yeah. Which everyone was like, "Oh my god, this is amazing!" But then you actually go and listen to their albums. Yeah. And stuff like if I had a million dollars, like you can be my Yoko Ono. Yeah, like, Yoko Ono, yeah. Best songs ever. Yeah, it's. I think yeah. I mean, actually, great example, and this is a good one. American Pie. Uh huh. Yeah. The soundtrack to American Pie. Whenever I hear those songs, takes me back to watching American Pie for the first time. Yeah. There's like Blink One Eighty Two's in there. Mm-hmm. There's so many like Wheatus. Like there's so many like great bands that were like, and then you go and listen to the music, and you're like, oh my god, this is amazing. Like, did I hear Weezer? Have they done a? Who was it? One of those old bands. Weezer's done a new album. Weezer did a new Weezer album. Did yeah. A new album. They did two new albums. They did a cover cover album of like songs. I haven't heard that. Yet. That's a really good album. Is it? Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, and then they did the, just their own thing again. I'm always a bit scared when you see the like. I remember discovering. Um, I think it came out when I was. I don't know how old. It might be before I was born. Actually, I can't remember. But I remember picking up the Garage Inc. album by Metallica. Oh shit. Um, and I was like, oh yeah, this is like, really heavy. And then you go back and listen to the originals, and you rediscover it. Garage Inc. Did that have the cover of Queen on it? Yeah, yeah, Stone it did. It's Stone Cold Crazy. It did, didn't it? God, yeah, I remember that album. But then the James Hetfield. Like, ah, yeah. Everyone on the side of the wall. Yeah. Hey, hey, Give me fuel. Give me fire. I love the, uh, the compilations on YouTube when someone's just put all of his oohs yeah. in his ah. Yeah. It's like it's 10 minutes. I, I, my favourite is uh, the St. Angus snare over every Metallica song. Oh. Like, it's over, like, uh, Enter Sandman and uh, Unforgiven. Like, it's... <laughs> Lars Ulrich, the greatest drummer of <laughs> this generation. I don't know. He's <laughs> awful. You know, the thing is, there's, there's actually a great video with Lars where he's trying to do, um, you know, some sort of you see like these prog drummers who are like, yeah, and this is my signature snare in it. And you're like, oh, it's amazing because you just demonstrated yeah. that you did something I can't dream of playing. And then Lars is like, okay, so guys, like we get a regular <laughs> snare drum and he, he just like rips the... the we the, smack the hell out of it. Well, he, he just rips a part of it off, like the strainer on the side, he just tears it off and then hits it with his stick, like like not even hitting the center of a drum. And he's like, bah, 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 bah. And he's like, uh, and that's how you get a St. Angus snare drum. It's like, no, you just broke something. That's not... That, that's not I mean, that, that is the St. Angus snare drum. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, like, the thing is with Lars, if you go back and listen to the early Metallica stuff, stuff like Battery. Battery. Yeah, tune. The drumming on that, like early, early Lars... Kill them All. Off Kill them All, the first Metallica album. Yeah, Seek and Destroy. Seek and Destroy. Great track. Was, his drumming on that was great. Yeah, back in the... I remember doing a cover of that with like, my first ever band. Yeah, I did the like, same actually. Like yeah. when I, this is when I was on drums, um, doing a cover of that, and it was actually hard to play to yeah. keep stamina because Metallica songs aren't short; they're like six, six minutes, minutes long yeah. of just like thrash drums of just you know it's 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 they had stamina, but it, it just I think the thing with Lars is he just didn't progress. <laughs> like he's really weird now because he he openly says he had practice once every three weeks. 
And it's like, to be fair, like, he's like a millionaire art dealer yeah, on the side. Yeah, he's an art dealer, yeah, but he doesn't have to do it. But, like, neither does Matt Portnoy or Marco Miniman or there you go. Craig Blundell or any of those sort of yeah. guys. They don't have to do it, but they do because of Gavin Harrison. I don't know if Gavin Harrison, but, like, you know, <laughs> like... The, you know, I, I saw Craig Blundell do, I was like maybe 17, and he came to our college because we were like a Roland sponsored college. Yeah. And they, the, what was it called? The Roland Roadshow. Oh, yeah. Which was the worst name they could have picked for it because it sounded like a little. Like, the Roland Roadshow. Like, like, I don't know. <laughs> Antiques Roadshow. It, it, it sounds like a mix between the Antiques Roadshow and like the village fair that comes Or a to little town. man called Roland. That's <laughs> <laughs> like it. Hello, everyone. Hello, I'm on the road doing a show. And these guys came in, Craig Blundell, he did like his little. They all played and mm. it was just like uh, guitar keys um, and drums. Yeah. No bass player. Because. Um, Roland keyboards yep. and everything else they could do on that, whatever. Yeah, of course. And um, it's just unbelievable. And he did this bit in the clinic where he did this unbelievably complex pattern and then had a, had a little microphone attached to him and just shouted out um, the colour of everybody's jumper on the front row. It was so bizarre. While he was doing this, like, insane, insane polarizing like, Yeah. yeah. But then we met him afterwards and he was such a lovely guy. Yeah, he's, he's, he, he drums for Stephen Wilson now. Um, so did Gavin Harrison and Marco Miniman, who I mentioned. Yes. Um, and he's insane. I saw him play um, Albert Hall with Stephen Wilson. Oh, cool. And, you know, someone like Stephen Wilson, I mean, he's a, I mean, Craig is a session guy. Mm. True, true. And Stephen Wilson can have any drummer he wants. And when he got Craig, I was like, oh, this is going to be interesting. Like a clinician. Yeah. Doing like these insane parts that Marco Miniman wrote. Mm. And he killed it because he's insane. Yeah, definitely. But that was, yeah. That was a tangent in my heart about <laughs> about we we got a whole lot of love and we ended up on Craig Blundell. Wow, um, but I uh, we can't remember where we were. Well, I think we, you know one thing I actually wanted to touch on, sort of going back towards maybe the film and media stuff, yeah. is um, like the the Avengers Endgame. And, okay, and the yeah. music that was used in that. Can you tell us about that process? Yeah, so everyone knows Marvel and everyone knows Avengers, mm. and hopefully everyone's seen Endgame because I I thought it was a good film. Um, but the third and last trailer was uh, Audio Network. The music was Audio Network. Mm. It was a track called Torsion by one of our LA-based composers. Yeah, well, it's actually from New Zealand. But, um, okay. but he's uh, mainly works out of LA called Mark Petrie. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and we have a series at Audio Network called Maximum Impact, which okay. sounds as intense as it is. Um, <laughs> so like superhero movie style? It's, it's trailer music. Okay. Think Transformers, think Marvel, think okay. you know the big AAA titled you know <laughs> things. It's that, um, and it's it's very it, like it's very for a specific reason. You're mm-hmm. not going to use it on for the Archers on Channel Four radio, you know. <laughs> that'd be got, great. I mean, it'd be great. Yeah, just this massive Mark Petrie epic just playing. No, it's um, it's for trailer use and for big epic. Um, pieces of film mm. but yeah Mark got synced uh, via Marvel for um, yeah the Avengers Endgame wow. which is amazing it's a great mm. accolade to our especially at that point when Endgame came out that was a, it's, you know, it's the peak of Marvel wasn't it really yeah I mean they've been building up to that the building up to the moment and it was a big win for us in the music team yeah um, I think we all reveled in the fact that a lot of us are fans of the films and we were like oh my god like this is actually about this is us we've helped this is us yeah we've we've helped mark achieve his creative vision of creating this 
massive thing and it's pulled off and now it's been used in a Marvel trailer, you know. Just to touch on something you literally just said, which, you know, you've helped Mark and I think, and tell me if you disagree or think differently, but, and I, I think I'm almost in like a similar position in my sort of musical career where where you you do look to help others now and I think you get to that that point of maturity and and maybe selflessness a little more when it's like well this person is this fantastic composer you want to help them get to that stage Mm. and you think more outwardly rather than well what can I do yeah how can I be that person I think I mean at Audio Network we have a big ethos of sort of everyone work together it's a team effort it's not Mm. you know celebrate your individual successes but share it with the team okay you know i don't think anyone in the team would wholeheartedly put that mark petri track down just to them that was me yeah yeah exactly <laughs> i did that Luke in the back, just me at the back going, it was cool it was me i did it all like, it's not gonna work like that um so when we do have successes you know it's not it you know we don't just be like oh that was luke that was so and so that was it, it's, it's a team effort so when we sort of having the sort of the attitude of helping others mm. is is my job <laughs> like yeah. I'm, I'm not there to imprint I, admittedly I said you know a glorified producer if you could view it that way my aim isn't to put my footprint on a on an album my aim isn't to be like go home and listen to it while having a, a you know a cup of tea and just yeah. being like you know Oh yes, that was on me. Oh, can you hear that bass? I told him to do that. You know, yeah, I told him to put that piccolo in that in that section. You know, instead of getting that self worth, yeah, it's of a product. It's for, for yeah, but, but but I do get stuff out of it because mm. I hear it all over the place, which is the curse of working for Audio Network. Is you become so familiar with the catalogue, you <laughs> hear your music everywhere. I was in the hairdressers, well, the barbers getting the haircut, and one of our composers, Bob Bradley, one of his tracks came on on the TV because they were playing the TV, and I just like stopped mid like another. I had to turn around like while he was quitting my hair because I was like, what, you know? And it, I, I got proud because I was like, I actually worked on the album. Yeah. Like, I talked to Bob about that album. I talked to the composer about nice. that album, and you know, we talked about guitars on that album, and mm. you know, and that, you know, that is the seeing something to come for, come to fruition from mm. the beginning, like I said, a brief to the end. It's so fulfilling. Yeah. Like it, it feels like you've been on that journey with them because mm-hmm. you have. Admittedly, you're not in the studio messing around with, you know, compressors or plugging stuff in or picking up a guitar and playing with them. Yeah. But you are there along the way, to a shoulder for you know a shoulder to cry on. You know, you're there to to through the growing pains of a of a project. You're there yeah. to sort of you know, celebrate with them, like, when they're, like, I've written this one, it's great, it is great, and, like, this is actually great, like, yeah. that, like this is amazing, you know, and talking to these composers, because I'm, I'm still a creative, like, you know, I'm, but we always will be, we always will be, yeah. and it's, you know, collab, it's a collaboration, mm. audio network, it's not corporate, <laughs> where we're just being, like, make us an album, like, <laughs> you're actually, with the artist, you're all the same shit, yeah, we are, we are all, on the same ship, you know, pulling the masts, you know, turning the wheel. We're all, you know, we're all there. Yeah. It's not like I'm on shore going, go left. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm in port. I'm in port. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, I'm on the ship with them, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, wh- so where does the line, in Audio Network at least, um, where does that line between A&R and then kind of your job, 
do you know what I mean? Where's the boundary? Because what you said there, it sounds very A&R, but you said you've got a separate A&R team. So the A&R team is just for like more. So the, uh, just to clarify, an, an A&R team, our A&R team isn't, you know, it's artists and repertoire. Mm-hmm. They find new composers or artists okay. and they work on mainly the artist projects. Ah, uh, okay. As a whole music team, it's sort of more producing the tracks. Right, yeah. More sort of, collaboratively just making choices and decisions on the music and uh, there is times where like we'll listen as a team and then someone might say some they don't like something mm-hmm. but i might be like i actually really like that <laughs> and we will discuss it and it'll be a very civilized conversation it won't be like throwing toys out the pram or yeah, whatever yeah, yeah. we will have a sit and you know we always come to a, a just and fair agreement and we're not going to make that choice without the composer's consent like we're not going to be like this should be like this composer doesn't get a say like it's not going to be like that. We'll talk to the composer. We'll be like, we've had a chat. We think it doesn't need the cello. You know, mm. we, we, we we don't think it needs the vocals. How do you feel about that? And they might they might be resistant and be like, I think it needs the vocals. But we could meet them halfway and we'll be like, well, well why don't you try and like do this or that? Mm. So it's a collaboration between the composer and the music team. It's not a dictatorship where, which a lot of other production companies are. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking for the you know hundreds of composers we've got but <laughs> I, they do enjoy working for us because mm. we're easy to work with we're you know we know what we're doing we know yeah. what we're talking about um, and they appreciate so they appreciate the creative feedback yeah there's nothing worse I had it you know I've had it I've had experiences before in previous job um, and stuff where working with like you know film executives not mm. creative where they're like we need it to be like this, and you do what they say, and they're still not happy, because they can't articulate what they want. Yeah. You know? They haven't got that, that expression. That expression. It's exactly Yeah, all the knowledge know. to do it. Whereas we we are, if anything, we're also like the translator between a production company and a composer. Yeah. Um, but so, yeah, it's a nice way to look at it, isn't it? Just to, just to get the ideas across and be able to sort of, so, you know, uh, like I said, we don't do bespoke, so a client's not going to be like, I need it yellow, and we're like, okay, you know, <laughs> put in this. It's yeah. more going to be like, we need the, like I said, we need this Ethiopian jazz or whatever, like, but, you know. But it's nice to, to talk to you and, and hear the positive stories of the music industry, because mm. I know you said you listened to, I think it was the last episode, we did it before the crowd, where, in, where I had Nady on, yeah. and she was talking about her experience, mm. sort of mainly in the 90s and the early noughties, yeah. working with uh, different record labels, come into the studio with some songs and they'd be like, you know what, that isn't what we're doing today. I'm the producer. You yeah. may have written it and you may be the singer yeah. or you may have a band with you, but I'm making this album like because this is my brief that yeah. I have to fulfill. Yeah. And it isn't like that now. I mean, no. okay, that is a record company against your company, but yeah, it's I, changed. It has changed and it's always changing. The music industry is the ever-changing animal it is. And, you know, as technology advances and there's new things come and go you know i think the industry is getting better i mean everything you know everything. like hashtag me too yeah well i think it's, it's such a positive change you know everything. and we're uh, you know audio network we're always looking for opportunities to sort of keep the diversity you know female mm. composers female producers um because we know how important it is um not just for the sort of you know corporate view of we've been diverse but we know how important it is to be diverse. <laughs> to be diverse, you know, you're not. You, if you have the same thing over and over again, you, it's not going to be 
you're not Absolutely. going to produce anything new. Mm. Whereas if you bring someone in new who maybe hasn't had their shot before, which is specifically women in the industry, music industry, which they haven't possibly had the same um, sort of opportunities as what some men have, mm. you know, we, we are aiming to sort of, you know, incorporate them more in the business and sort of, right, and give them the, the opportunity they deserve, you know. And admittedly, we're not going to bring them on just because they're a woman, like the, the, I see. What the, it's not no, for the sake of it. It's not for the sake of it. We're not gonna, and that goes for the same for men. <laughs> like we're well, based on the work. It's based on what person. you do. But and, you know, the female. You know, we have absolutely incredible female composers um, in our roster that mm. you know some could deem better than some. You know, the men. Yeah. You know, and it's it's the opportunity that we're hopefully giving to these these women that will. You know, it's, it's just a new lease of life. I mean, I got a friend who works for um, for Live Nation, which okay, is yeah. like you know obviously all the venues and the ticketing for pre- pretty much any sort of yeah. big band mm. wants to sell out there to whatever like they go through Live Nation. That is arguably one of the biggest companies. No, it is yeah. Um, some of the benefits they offer for their employees is uh, free gender transition surgery. That's mental. Because they're just like that's great. Yeah, I know, right? right? That's, that's... But it, it's. Obviously, that's men. That's see. That's that's just the mentality of how how the industry is changing. Mm. That, Imagine that thirty years ago. That wouldn't have happened thirty years ago. You would have been fired thirty years ago for even having any thoughts of anything like that. Yeah. You know. But now it's just like okay, we'll pay. Yeah. yeah <laughs> it's like we'll do it. Sure. Like, which is great. You know. I'm sure there's probably more hurdles to go through. Then do you want to do it? All yeah. Right. All right. Cool. Just fill out an expense report. Yeah. yeah exactly. If your expenses, yeah. Oh, this is an expensive 60, one. Sixty thousand. <laughs> yeah. It's like you know. But no, it's great, and I think a lot of other companies and sort of businesses within the music industry are following suit. Um, you just have to, don't you? Well, it's also you know you've got great artists who are standing up for things like that. You mm-hmm. know, Lizzo standing mm-hmm. up. You know, be you, be who you want to be. Yeah. You know, Billie Eilish in some respects, sort of like. A lot of her music, you know, has messages of, you know, what's the track? Um, I wish you were gay, or you, oh, what's the track where she's, you know, she's talk about sort of just the um, a, a different perspective on sort of the homosexuality mm. thing, where she's not saying I wish you were, I, I wish you were gay, or something. I can't remember what it is. But again, artists like Billie Eilish, Lizzo, female artists especially, yeah. making an impact in an industry that you know. It's hard to impact a lot of the time, and when the women doing it as well, even Cardi B, like mm. strong, like the strong character she is, you know, she's hater or love her music, <laughs> like she's making absolute waves within the industry. Yeah, definitely. And you know, I, I mean, personally, I actually, as much as I hate to admit it, Lizzo songs do bang, and they are great. It's the guilty pleasure. It is the guilty pleasure. It's Juice fun. is such a good tune. Like I absolutely love that tune. It's great production as well. You know, and it's. We all have guilty pleasures. Anytime ABBA comes on, I can. ABBA I can should sing not be a guilty pleasure. It should be a pleasure to enjoy. I love ABBA. I will. <laughs> I will stand up and tell anyone one of the best days I've ever had is going to the ABBA Museum in Stockholm. In Stockholm, yeah. and it would. It's you'd love it there actually. Because yeah, they, I really want to go. <laughs> they um, they've recreated the the studio that they recorded. Oh in, really? <laughs> and then they have like sort of tiny little digital. Um, um, what do you call them? Like in museums, where the interactive. Oh yeah, and yeah, stuff, yeah, yeah. And you can just mix a track, oh, and it's so like, cool. how close were you to the original? Um, <laughs> yeah, but it's like to the point where they. Just, <laughs> how close were you to the original? It's better than the original. <laughs> yeah, and that is like, a remix. Is Save that remix. <laughs> <laughs> so they're throwing bass loop here somewhere. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just oh, just lots of yeah. But you know. <laughs> oh, 
<laughs> yeah, a, a, a drum and bass like sort of crazy thing over the top of it. A dubstep remix. Go. Um, no, but I th- yeah, band people like that are making moves in the industry, and it's good to see. And it always, it, it's always, it's always getting better. Definitely. So, um, to kind of wrap up now, mm-hmm. last couple of questions. Um, favorite songs or or tracks that you've worked on? Oh. And who were they with? Ooh. That's a hard question. That is a tough one. That is a really tough question. You can, you can give multiple ones. That I've worked on. I've well, you've been a part of it, as you said, in that team effort, in that collaboration sense. That's hard. Um, I would say, I mean, they're unknown to many of you because they're just composers. Um, I mean, James Taylor, the new... Uh, James Taylor's working on a new album. It's mm-hmm. not a secret. Um, yeah. I really enjoyed working on that. Okay. It's going to be great. Um, soon to be released. Um, a lot of sort of our sort of big orchestral stuff. Like we did a Scandinavian folk orchestral thing. It was basically based on Tolkien. Uh, sort of that style uh, thing. Ba- a guy called um, Glenn Gabriel. He's Swedish. Okay. Lovely guy. Great composer. That one I enjoyed working on. Every track had a story of, of Norse mythology, so every track had a concept. It was it's been really fun to work on. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, there's so many, um, so many. Um, but yeah, I, 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 just as an over-encompassing, I do enjoy everything I work on. I know it sounds so cheesy and so like bottle, like bottling it, saying like. No, it's a cool job to have. It is a cool job to have, and I enjoy it every day. Like whether it is a big orchestral thing or whether it's a, you know, a tension underscore for like a weird synth thing. Mm -hmm. You know, it's enjoyable to work on and work with these people, and I do enjoy listening to most, if not all, the things we do. Um, You know, be it glamorous, sort of high profile, like the James Taylor stuff, or be it like just a normal. Everyday composer just doing his thing, you know. It's it's good to listen to. It's great. Yeah. It's great you enjoy that. I think, mm. I think it was a. Uh, you remember that movie, Forgetting Sarah Marshall? I love that film. And um, uh, what's his name? Jason Segel. Yeah, and yeah. how he's like a frustrating composer. It's yeah. just like the same crime scene garbage. Like, yeah. just give me some dark undertones. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he just plays that jazz jazz piano loop. Yeah, you know. And then just goes and writes his dream rock opera about um, a vampire, yeah, Dracula. Yeah, yeah. There isn't that frustration. There isn't. There isn't that. I don't want to leave Audio Network to go and write a Dracula themed puppet show, like he did in Forget Sarah yet. Um, okay. But but you know, I love working on everything, and so does. I would say a lot, I'm speaking for the rest of the music team, but, you know, a lot of them have been there for years and years yeah, because yeah. they enjoy what they do, and it's a very fulfilling job to have, like I said. That's all you want in work, and kind of leading on from the Dracula um, rock opera, final question, where do you want to go next? What do you want to do next? Oh, gosh. Five year plan. Um, Five year plan. <laughs> I don't know. But, but like, are you working on any of your own sort of creative songwriting stuff? But is that going to come to so, light soon? Or um, my main focus is still at Audio Network. Been a, like I said, a year and four months. Com- sort of my main effort is is there at the minute. Um, I am working with some artists as a more producer role. Mm-hmm. Not that I can actually mention. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's just getting stuck in still, working with friends. Right, yeah. Well, you know, it for me it doesn't have to be glamorous. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not like how many Instagram followers do you have? I'm not working with 
I'm not like that. Like, if you have more than me, I will work with you, which is everyone. <laughs> no, but you know, I'm not. I think, like I said in the in the beginning, it's if you don't use it, you lose it. Yeah, definitely. And you need to flex that muscle, keep it going. You know, whether it be with, you know, writing a song with my girlfriend, being stupid and just ad libbing about doing washing or you know <laughs> emptying the dishwasher or cooking. You know, it's still collaboration and it's still fun. And, you know, it's, and it, I think that's the key is having fun with it. Yeah. Um, and not losing that sort of, like I said, about teaching that, that child, that, that, that the inner child in us all and keeping it, you know, your passion. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but, yeah, focus is an audio network. I might still do some more freelance production mm. and stuff just to keep it going. Uh, but, yeah, my main focus is within the composing world currently. Fantastic. Probably will be for the rest of my life <laughs> you know so that's great yeah. i got got to work with you i think we mentioned this the other day i'm doing this metal album with ryan and you know someone had to collaborate with you on yeah it yeah we talked about that didn't we? Yeah. Yeah, producing yours and ryan's bombastic metal album <laughs> uh which i'm all for which, <laughs> so. it, which again for, for me it's just a creative outlet well that's of, the thing is you should have that like i don't know how people don't in life I don't know how they, they don't have something that they focus their attention on, whether it's painting yeah. or, or any form of art. Well, that's the thing. It's like, I want, I want to, I think everyone should aim to be a Richie Blackmore, to be in as many crazy outfits as that man has been in. He's been in, you know, Rainbow, yeah. Deep Purple, mm -hmm. he did his weird medieval stuff, you know, he had, he's constantly, yes, constantly <laughs> doing things. Mm. You know, Dave Grohl, these people who are like massive, don't just stop at Nirvana. Like he did, exactly. you know, they, they like to keep on going. I think that's a lesson for any creative to to sort of have in the back pocket to always look at and be like, is just to keep doing stuff. Like keep writing, keep doing what inspired you in the first place, whether it is working a day job, doing, you know, in an office, doing mm. insurance, but coming home and smash, smashing the hell out of a drum kit yeah. with your headphones on, you're still doing it. Yeah. Like whether that's whether you're making money out of it doesn't matter or not at that point. Like if you're getting some enjoyment out of it, which I know is easy for me to say, but because I know it does get hard when you like you, you sometimes hit a wall where you're like I don't want to do this anymore. Mm -hmm. But if you keep on going and finding new things, you know that's what it's all about. That's what music is all about. Definitely, I think that's actually the perfect note to end on. There a really go. nice inspirational way to end the interview. So there you go, Luke. Thanks so much for coming, man. No worries. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you. <laughs>